From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. While the Gators were feeling peachy during bowl season last year, they'll get to check another box on the New Year's Six bingo card this time around when they head south for the Orange Bowl. Florida will stay inside the Sunshine State for a battle against the Virginia Cavaliers, with the potential for a rare 11-win season clearly in their grasp. On today's show, we'll welcome FloridaGators.com senior writers Scott Carter and Chris Harry to discuss the magnitude of the storied game, why it most certainly has meaning, a major step forward for the planned football facility, basketball's tough trip to Butler, Billy D's historic honor, volleyball's surge to the Sweet 16, and their best theme park memories in the PAT. Plus, basketball freshman Quez Glover joins us to discuss growing up as a Gator in Vol country, where he got his physical demeanor on the court, and how he and his teammates are working to grow through a difficult stretch. But first, when the New Year's Six was born in 2014, it became the new standard bearer for where programs wanted to be at the end of the college football season. Dan Mullen is now two for two getting the Gators into the spotlight, and aren't you glad to hear Scott and Chris open our roundtable by discussing the significance of the opportunity. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's a big step in the right direction since Dan Mullen took over. And you didn't know which one they were going to before the announcements were made. You had a good feeling that after uh, what transpired on Saturday in the conference championships and the previous week, Florida was headed toward a New Year's Six Bowl. And they got that bid to go down to Miami to play in the Orange Bowl. And, you know, they were down in Miami for the national championship game against Oklahoma in 2008, which was hosted by the Orange Bowl wasn't officially an Orange Bowl. This is only going to be the fourth time they've ever played in the official Orange Bowl and first time since Steve Spurrier's last year back in 2001. So it has been a while uh, since the Gators made an appearance down there. And uh, Dan Mullen, as he said on the uh, bowl teleconference, uh, it's always special when you're in a New Year's Six Bowl game. Uh, this is where the elite programs in the country are supposed to end up. Uh, Florida has been there two years in a row. This was a little different path than they took uh, Mullen's first year, but the destination is the same. Uh, and now they've got a Virginia matchup, which they haven't played Virginia but one time in history. And again, it's, uh, it's since 1959. So it has been a while. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you remember that game. The Gators <laughs> won it 55 to 10. Wow. So uh, round two, uh, December 30th in Miami. You know, one of the things that people have talked about, and I know you guys hear some of this too, but I think there's this sense, and it's been amplified by this recent trend of players leaving before the bowl games, that if you're not playing in the playoff, that the games are meaningless. I know you guys hear that term a lot. I hear it all the time. And I, I understand to a degree if you're playing in the, I'll make up a bowl so as not to offend anybody, although maybe this is a bowl. There's so many of them. Uh, let's say it's the uh, the Oscar Mayer Bologna Bowl, right? Like that's one thing. But the Orange Bowl is a big deal. And these are games with a lot of history and tradition. And I just, I, I don't understand that approach that people have. So I'm just curious for, for your take on this new trend of saying, if you're not in the playoff, it's meaningless. Even if you're in a really prestigious game that carries a lot of weight with it. 
Well, personally, I mean, I'm not a big fan of it because, you know, if I was on the team and a player who I've been beside all years finally decides, you know, to not play in what you're saying, you know, really is in some ways it's going to be the big game uh, against a good opponent. Uh, it's going to determine where you finish ranked in the final standings of the year. I want that guy out there with me. I understand the other side of it, too. I mean, I can go back and forth. I mean, obviously, in C.J. Henderson's case, he's had an injury-plagued season. I don't think he's quite had the season that a lot of people expected because of that ankle injury that sidelined him for a while. Uh, he's He's been back on the field for the last six games. And I was wondering after the pairing came out if C.J. might have been better served away a little bit because he's from Miami. I mean, he grew up there. So it would be a great way for him to close out his Gators career uh, by playing his final home game right there where he grew up. But instead, he's going to you know skip the bowl game and uh, prepare for the NFL draft. And he's got a great opportunity ahead of him. Uh, he's probably going to be a first-round pick or second-round pick. Uh, so, again, I understand both sides of it. I know you're saying, well, which one would you do or which one is the stronger side? I would rather guys play, but that's just me. But I see the other side of it, too. You're not going to win that debate. You're just not uh, – I've, I've seen some Gator fans on social media, you know, say, boy, that's great loyalty by CJ. Then I've seen a lot, really, even more probably saying, hey, thanks for what you did. Go earn your money. Uh, always a Gator. So it's a mixed bag. Hey, last year, didn't Michigan have like three guys who didn't play? Yeah, I think it was five guys that didn't play. Certainly three really good defensive players that didn't play, and uh, Florida was a beneficiary of that. But uh, I guess the next phase is now to see uh, – Guys in the playoffs deciding not to play. Yeah, they play all season long. Some guy from Clemson or something saying, "Oh, you know, I'm I'm out." But uh, I don't know that it's going to come to that. Um, you see it happen in other sports. Obviously, it happens in in college basketball. Guys not playing in the NIT or what have you. And you you know you can't really blame them for that. I guess uh, especially if they're marquee players. I think was it uh, Ben Simmons? I think did it a couple years ago. Yeah. Uh, Daniel uh, Gaffer did it for uh, Arkansas this past year, so it uh, doesn't surprise me. But um, for Florida, the fact that it's only one, I guess maybe is a is a positive thing. Yeah, Mullen said that, you know, as of now, it seems like only one. Uh, that could change, but he, his message was either get all in or get all out. And uh, I think he's made that pretty clear, and that we'll see how that shakes out. But right now, C.J. Henderson has is the only one. In, in, in terms of the, the matchup itself, you know, it's not as attractive, I would say, as Florida-Michigan because of some of the history. The Gators wanting to get back at, at Michigan. But I, I do want you guys to comment on the significance of that game last year because when people say, oh, it's a meaningless bowl, whatever. I mean, if you ask people about the 2018 season and maybe the most memorable part of it, a lot of people say it was winning the Peach Bowl and beating Michigan. That was a big deal. So I'm curious if you can just talk about the tangible impact of not only playing in one of these games, but looking good and winning a game like this on a, a big national stage. I'll give you a number of reasons, and the number is 11. I mean, winning 11 games is a big deal in college football. Uh, it's only happened, what, eight times here in program history? Seven, Seven times. So they've been looking for the eighth time in program history. Uh, you know, you won 10 last year. Uh, win 11 this year that's progress that's great progress and uh i mean <laughs> that's incredible for dan mulling to roll that out that's a, that's a, that's a terrific talking point um to be in the orange bowl when you when you start seasons you yeah you want to be in the playoffs but the next best thing is to be in a major bowl game so uh, florida will be able to say that they 
they achieve that. And I don't think there's anything a lot of teams would rather be doing that. Uh, Virginia's going to take a nine and four record to the Orange Bowl. That's a big deal for them, too. So they have a lot to play for. I think Florida certainly has a lot to play for when you think about it. when's the last time they won 11 games? It was 2012. And that was the year they went 11 and one and got killed by Louisville in the Sugar Bowl. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's much better to go out as with your 11th win being in a bowl game than uh, your second loss with the 11 wins in hand already in the bowl game when you go there. Yeah, I mean, Chris hit a lot of the points on the head. I I, I was kind of a little surprised at social media when the announcement was uh, made, how many people were instantly dissing the matchup. You speak about last year's bowl game. Michigan was a familiar opponent. Uh, they hadn't been able to beat Michigan in, I think, what, four previous tries. They finally got that win up in Atlanta, cap a big comeback season. And now, as Chris said, you got a chance to grow from that. One more win. Uh, it's a game the Gators are already opened as a 13 and a half point favorite. You get to play in South Florida where uh, there's a huge concentration of Florida fans. So should be a very Gator heavy crowd. I mean, there's a lot to play for. I mean, I don't know. Those out there, and you you look at the Virginia team, uh, they got whipped by uh, Clemson, obviously, in the ACC championship game. But Florida has had a couple of these matchups over the years. Chris mentioned one of them, Louisville. I remember one years ago, Notre Dame, that didn't go too well. But that was in the Sugar Bowl, right? In the Sugar Bowl. Where the Gators, I think, were heavy favorites. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so... You know, you just never know uh, how these are going to turn out. They've been on the wrong side of both of those. But you just – Virginia is going to be prepared. They're going to be excited. A huge trip for them. And uh, They were in a Sugar Bowl, I believe, in 1990 19, – after the 1990 season, the year Virginia went to number one and was there for about four weeks or so. But it's a big deal for them. They haven't been in a bowl game like this for a long, long time. And I'm sure if Dan Mullen put some tape on and shows them uh, uh, highlights of Bryce Perkins – um, that should be enough to uh, get the defense's attention because you know, this is a guy who is gaining like 400, 500 yards at times in total offense in games. So uh, he was the number one junior college uh, quarterback in the country a couple of years ago, went to Virginia, and they beat South Carolina last year in a bowl game 28 nothing, and won nine games this year and uh, uh, turned the tide on Virginia Tech. Beat Florida State, so uh, um, they put up a nice little resume. They're one of those programs on something of an ascension, too. Um, maybe not a trajectory of the Gators, obviously, but they're not going to South Florida disappointed in their situation. So uh, mentality may be key when you think about that, because I do remember in that 2012 game, Florida went to the Sugar Bowl, maybe not exactly jacked up about playing Louisville. The fans didn't really show up for the game, remember? Yeah, um, I, I didn't even show up. Yeah, Scott didn't <laughs> show up, actually. Yeah. Um, that wasn't a, a game with a lot of juice to it. So we'll see if this game has a lot of juice to it. The fact it's being played uh, in Sunshine State lines, I would think would help a little bit. But uh, Florida needs to be excited about the game. And I I know Dan Mullen will have them excited for this football game um, to go down there. And I think it's kind of cool. You play on December 30th, you get home for New Year's Eve. Mm -hmm. I think that's that's, that's good from my standpoint. (laughs) That's good for everybody. Uh, And and for those people wondering, well, why is it Virginia? Because they're ranked so low. Uh, the Orange Bowl is contractually obligated to take the highest-ranked ACC team that is not in the playoffs. So you've got Clemson, and then you got everybody else. So that's the reason why it's not a top-10 matchup, just because of, again, the contract tie-in. So nothing that Florida or the committee could do about that in this instance. And for the record, this is Virginia's first-ever appearance in the bowl or Orange Bowl. Hmm. So, you know, 
Yeah. One of the reasons that these games are important is because of recruiting. It's another thing you can sell. Florida's on a national stage, et cetera. And another thing that's going to help Florida do that coming up really soon uh, is going to be these incredible new facilities they're working on for football. And this week we found out that a, a major Gator booster has uh, made a large contribution to make that facility a reality. So, Scott, tell us a little bit about that development. Yeah, I mean, the UA announced this week that and if you've been on campus, you know this name, James W. Bill Hevener. Uh, he has made a significant donation, and his name will be placed on the what will be called the uh, the Hevener Football Training Center uh, when it is uh, built, possibly completed as early as December of 2021. Uh, a groundbreaking is expected where McKeithen Stadium is now sometime this summer after the Gators baseball season ends. And uh, this uh, this building that we've heard so much about the last few years is uh, getting closer to reality, and a lot of that reason is because uh, Bill Hevner, one of the uh, one of the really uh, the most important financial backers of the UF athletic department, uh, you know, I mentioned his name. He the Hevner football complex that opened during the Urban Meyer tenure here in 2008, obviously is named uh, after him. That kind of serves as the uh, the front door, if you will, to Florida's football offices, uh, currently, you know, at the corner of uh, Ben Hill Griffin Stadium. And then he's got a uh, Heavener Hall. Uh, the College of Business uh, has a hall named after him. So he, he's done uh, very well over his career. He's been very generous to the Gators. He's a 1970 UF graduate, went on to Harvard Business School, and has, uh, has done well as CEO of Full Sail University down in the Orlando area among other uh, private interests. So a uh, big, big uh, deal for the Gators for having her to step up and uh, get this thing closer to a reality that, you know, is going to make a huge difference in recruiting in this resources that the current players and coaches have. And just uh, a kind of a shining uh, new symbol for the football program. Scott, you also went to Harvard Business School, correct? I did, but I flunked out. They, they only <laughs> kept me for a day and they realized that they had the wrong Scott Carter. <laughs> it's a common name. Easy mistake to make. Yeah. <laughs> um, so certainly a lot going on on the football side. I want to turn our attention to basketball now. Not a, a great weekend for the Gators. We talked a lot last week, Chris, about going up to Butler and, and some of the uh, some of the excitement surrounding the game, playing in Hinkle Fieldhouse, some of the history that comes there. But the other side of it, Butler, an undefeated team that ultimately Florida uh, just was not able to, to put enough offense together to overcome. Yeah, an undefeated team and a team with a bunch of upperclassmen, you know, playing against a, a team. Mike White, um, you know, pretty candid after the game. Uh, another uh, tough shooting performance, 6-26 from the three-point line, but some defensive breakdowns that allowed Butler to shoot over 50% for the game. And, you know, Mike White talked about immaturity, and it was on full display, and it's, and it's a tough place to play. I mean, it was I've been to a lot of great basketball environments, obviously. this is I was trying to think of my top five as, uh, that would uh, line up against uh, the what was going on in Hinkle Field. That game had been sold out since it was announced uh, two years ago. To me, the best place I've seen a college basketball game, Adam, is at Fog Allen in Kansas when Florida played there. And uh, I thought it was just fabulous. But this this was great. And, um, you know, the environment is not what beat uh, the Gators. Uh, Butler's discipline, Butler's um, offense, uh, Butler's uh, principles defensively. Again, if Florida's 
can make 32% from three-point range instead of 21%. We're talking about a completely different animal. I think there are 15 to 22 from inside the three-point line. And, and yet, and yet on, on those, on those three-point shots, um, you know, you're missing 20 of them. Man, some of them are wide open. And to get wide open shots against Butler is hard. You know, eventually you got to make some of these shots. And I know that people ad nauseum are saying, we're tired of hearing about that. We're tired of hearing about that. But um, that's fine. Uh, but <laughs> to be tired of it, but it doesn't make the reality any different. Um, uh, Trey Mann is, a, is the best scorer on the basketball team, Adam. And Trey Mann, now granted, I know he's uh, got whacked out a little bit with he got a concussion up in, in UConn and wasn't able to play a couple of the games uh, in the Charleston Classic. But he's one of the best pure shooters and certainly the, the most talented scorer on the team. And right now he's at 33% from the floor and four of 19 from three-point range. He had some wide open shots in that game the other day and that just did not go. Kerry Blackshear, um, I've said from the beginning and watching these guys uh, practice from the beginning of summer, he's the third or fourth best three-point shooter on the team based on what you see in practice. And he was one for six in the game from three-point range. If he's two for six, he's 33%, which is acceptable. Are those the best shots the Gators can get? Maybe the way they're running uh, their offense right now, uh, inability to get open, but they're scoring more when they're when they're inside the three-point line. And obviously there's a lot of things that they have to do better, and the uh, Gators are working on that. But one of the things that they need to do is grow up some uh, on the fly. And uh, Mike White hasn't obviously isn't going to give up. He's going to keep working these guys. He's going to keep finding uh, – what guys can can do what best, what best fits for this team. But uh, I mean, they go to the, they don't play again until next week, next Tuesday night in uh, against uh, Providence in Brooklyn. Uh, after that, they don't they don't play another I think another nine days. They play Utah State, which is a top fifteen team right now. So they're going to be tested a couple more times before the conference season begins. And I'm just, I'm just looking. They're trying to find. Uh, what works best for this team. And right now, three-point shooting isn't working for this team. They're 29%. Uh, people t- ask me uh, uh, all the time now, uh, should they stop shooting as many threes? Well, I think they should make more threes. And I know that's, a, that's an easy answer. I just know that they're better than 29% because I, I see what I see every day. And I used to watch teams, uh, these basketball teams, during practice, uh, during the summer and during the preseason, and make um, assessments about them. But the bottom line, Adam, is in basketball, <laughs> you can watch it. I tell you what, they, they had some great practice in the preseason. They looked really crisp. They looked really bouncy, looked really happy. But stuff happens once the season starts and once uh, roles start to be defined, players start getting minutes. And uh, Billy Donovan used to say that's when things start getting hard and they're hard right now for this basketball team, especially against good teams. When things start getting hard, you start getting squeezed. When the stuff starts coming out of your body and it's real hard and you're feeling the pressure, that's when you see what kind of team you are, what kind of character you have, uh, what kind of player you are. And this team's getting pressured right now. The coaches are getting pressured. The weight of that uh, sixth ranking, I mean, they they don't have to worry about that anymore. They're not going to be ranked again for a while, I don't think. So uh, did that weigh on them? Yeah, we've already we've, we've established that they don't have to worry about that anymore. They just have to start playing better, and and one of, at the root of playing better is making more shots. Uh, let's not uh, forget Butler was unbeaten going in that game. They won. It was their 56th straight non-conference victory in their building. 
um, that was a very good basketball team that played. And that's a, some, and a lot of those players were here last year when they came down to Florida and ran into a similar hornet's nest when Florida jumped to a 21 nothing lead and never looked back and won, I think, by 27 points in that game. So they were geared up for that game. Uh, the, like I said, the game had been sold out since it was announced two years earlier that when we, when we rolled in, there was a beautiful day in Indiana, by the way, you know, it's just not a cloud in the sky. It wasn't your dismal, usual dismal, uh, December day in, in Indiana, the crowd was there earlier for a noon tip. The, the fans were wrapped around the building. They were jacked up for that game. And, uh, you know, Florida walked into something of a hornet's nest, but the hornet's nest was more related to the the what was going on in the court than what was going on uh, uh, in the Hoosier type environment around it. Yeah, and and we'll see. You know what they're able to change coming up. Obviously, you mentioned big gaps between games here. So if it's a matter of things that have to change in practice, uh, there's certainly time to address that. And, and I know everyone's curious to see how that plays out. But uh, you, you did invoke the name of Billy Donovan, so we'll transition right on to the next thing I want to discuss with you, which is the announcement last week that the court at the O'Connell Center at Exact Tech Arena is officially going to be renamed for Billy Donovan coming up in February. And I don't know that anyone doubted this. This would happen. I think it was always just an, an expectation this was going to be someday. I, I guess the questions I would ask are, you know, the timing of it. Why was now the right time? And also, uh, what did Billy have to say when you spoke to him about it? Oh, well, I mean, it had been in the works for some time. I mean, it's been something that just rolled out the last couple of days. Um, it's no coincidence, for example, that the game is February 15th the night the court is named. That is All-Star Weekend. For that to happen, Florida needed to go to the go to the conference um, back in the summer and say, we need this open date. Okay. Cause we're going to do something. So it's been a process. It, it, you say, why now? I mean, may, cause, cause initially may have not been a great timing for it. Um, when you think of just the circumstances or what have you, but uh, I talked to Billy uh, when it was on the verge of being uh, official and what have you. And Scott Strickland and Jeremy Foley flew to Oklahoma city uh, a couple uh, last month in October and under the guise that they were going to uh, explore uh, some facilities at Oklahoma and Oklahoma State nearby. And hey, while we're in town, let's go out to dinner. So I took Christine Donovan and Billy out. And uh, Billy was saying he kept asking him stuff. So, you know, what, you know, what, where are you guys going tomorrow? You, Jeremy made it slip. I'm actually, I'm going to California tomorrow. You, I thought you're going to Oklahoma City to look at facilities. He's, uh, finally, they had to just give up on, the, <laughs> on all, all the, all the ruse and say, Billy, we didn't come here for that. We came here to tell you this. And he said he was absolutely floored. He said it's as meaningful as anything that's happened during his coaching career. I mean, because it's legacy, Adam, obviously. Um, you're talking Coach K Court at Duke, mm -hmm. Roy Williams Court at North Carolina, Jim Beheim Court at Syracuse. This is a little different circumstance because he's not here, granted. You know, I, I don't know if a court – I mean, to me, you'd have a couple statues to the guy given what he did what he did for this program. Talk about the, the something and nothing nature – that Florida basketball became on his watch. I put the gaudy numbers was well, well over 400 wins, uh, six SEC titles, four SEC tournament titles, the, the four final fours. Um, and of course the back-to-back -back national championships, only two coaches in the last half century have won back-to-back -back national championships. They would be John Wooden and Mike Krzyzewski. And now, and of course, Billy Donovan 12 years ago. So um, it's absolutely warranted. It's going to be a fantastic uh, weekend uh, much deserved. And, uh, that's going to be really, really cool moment. I just, you know, you're thinking about it. It's, uh, it's something like you said, it, it was going to happen. It was just a matter of when it was going to happen. And, uh, come February 15th, that is going to be, uh, quite the night Saturday night against Vanderbilt. 
with, uh, uh, I would imagine, an incredible amount of, of his family members, former players that will be able to come back, uh, managers, sports staff, assistant coaches that may not be employed around the country. But I imagine there's also going to be quite the uh, absentee video tributes when you talk about some of the people that have that have been here. And and I, I, I it was really cool seeing guys like Brad Beal uh, retweet the announcements. Um, I don't know if you saw a few weeks ago when the Washington Wizards and, and uh, Oklahoma City Thunder played uh, after the game, Brad Veal went up and hugged uh, Billy Donovan. Chris Chioza went up and hugged Billy Donovan. And, uh, and there's still stuff there for what what that coach did for them and, and, and you know, what, obviously what he means his program. And it'll be on full display uh, February 15th. I can't wait till we get to talk about it again when that gets closer. So we'll be keeping tabs on news of basketball as it relates to not only this team, but that Billy Donovan dedication coming up in the spring. Uh, now, looking over at volleyball, we talked last week, Scott, about the team going into the NCAA tournament, a place that uh, they've been almost every year in the uh, the history of the program. And the challenge was, can they get through and make it to the Sweet 16? They did. Can you tell us about that path and what it looks like now going forward? Yeah, they, they swept through it, literally. Uh, took care of Alabama State in three Friday night took care of UCF in three to advance on to the uh, Austin, Texas regional, where next up is Minnesota. So, you know, if you follow Florida volleyball closely, Adam, the Gators have been to Austin a, a couple of other times over this decade. I, I've been there a couple of times with them. And uh, one time, boy, they got hosed on a really bad call. That's right. Against the Longhorns, which actually led to the institution of instant replay in college volleyball. So they'll go out there to a place they are familiar with, not necessarily the best of memories, but they got a chance to uh, turn that around. And, you know, if you can beat Minnesota and maybe get another chance at the home uh, home court Longhorns, you know, final four berth would be on, on the line. I mean, they're going to go out there 26 and four on the season, had some big wins playing good down the stretch and certainly had a nice showing at home to open the NCAA tournament. Now they're, you know, in the Sweet 16 with a chance to move on, but Minnesota uh, awaits next. Moving on to our PAT this week, I'm inspired by uh, my trip this past weekend. I went to Disney World and I went to Universal Studios. Uh, in case you're wondering how many steps I logged, 63,000 steps in two and a half days. If you want to get great exercise, go to a theme park. The kicker is just don't eat anything there because that'll negate the good work that you do with all your steps. Uh, but I'm, I'm curious for you guys. I'm a big theme park guy. I'm sure because you guys have kids that you've experienced this at some point. So I'm hoping for a story. Maybe it could be a good story, a, a bad story. Just like when you think about theme parks, Disney, uh, what comes to mind from your own past? We went to Magic, I think Magic Mountain it's called in, yeah. in uh, California. That's what, Yeah, it's one of the best. Uh, every other year it seems to alternate with Cedar Point in Ohio as the uh, roller coaster capital of the world. Yeah, and my brother, um, I'm a roller coaster guy, and my brother uh, was like, you have to you have to do this thing. It's called Superman. You heard of it? Yes. And Superman, you walk in, it's this thing you see in the distance. It's this, uh, all you see is this uh, uh, attract that goes straight up in the air, 90 degrees. And um, and it's got one of those propulsion starts, mm-hmm. kind of like um, the one in, um, what's the the Aerosmith one? in Rock and Roller Coaster. The yeah, Rock and Roller Coaster, correct. The Hulk anyway, as well at Universal. Yeah. That's right. That's right. So it rockets you out and you go straight up this uh, this track. And when you get to the top, you get weightless. Mm-hmm. 
And you go, you go, I think it's zero to a hundred in something like four seconds, wow. 4.5 seconds, something like that. And we get to the top, you sit up there at the top just long enough while you, momentum takes you up and you get waste. I remember looking back at my, at my nephew and he had a, something around his neck that was just floating. <laughs> and then you go all the way back on the same speed. And I'm Adam, it's, I want to say last like 19 seconds total. And you want no more of it when you're done. <laughs> And it, that is, it's the best ride I've ever been on, the fastest ride I've ever been on, uh, the most uh, intense ride I've ever been on. That was my brother's intention all along to get us there. And I don't know if I'd do it now at my age, but I probably would because I still uh, I still kind of like that stuff. I've been to that park twice, and I don't know why I've never done that ride. I've done everything else there. I think it was closed, but yeah, it's and, and you can hear it from anywhere because it's so loud when it launches. Um, which is similar to, I'd say my, my top ride top experience was going to Cedar Point in Ohio and doing the, uh, the top thrill dragster, which launches you zero to 120 in about three seconds. Um, again, it's, it's like you said, extremely short. The whole thing lasts probably under 20 seconds, but it's something that you can't experience anywhere else. And getting that kind of rush is just, it's hard to compare anything to it because it's so unique. So I'm, I'm certainly with you on a, a similar type of thrill there. Uh, I'm curious where Scott's going with this. I feel like he's not quite as uh, not quite as big on this as we are. Actually, uh, I've been to all these amusement parks, bush gardens so much in recent years with the kids. But the one that will always stick out for me is the screen machine up by where you are, man. Oh, man. Six Flags over Georgia. Now, back in the day, that was a big, bad roller coaster. Uh, obviously it's a little dated today since it's an old wooden roller coaster. Yeah. I remember riding that thing six, seven times in a row, row one day without it having to wait in line. Uh, and then the mind bender up there came along. Mm -hmm. The mind bender was a pretty cool one. The scariest roller coaster I've probably ever ridden. I read the, uh, beast at Kings Island. Wow. When I was that's a kid. That's a classic. That was way back in the day. But yeah, you know, I, I still ride it. When I went to, the, we went to Bush Gardens about three or four months ago, I got on, uh, what's the new one they have? The Cheetah? Griffin? Cheetah Hunt. The Cheetah Hunt. Yeah. I like that one a lot. Mm. It's it's pretty long, a uh, lot, of, lot of ups and downs. But so, you know, I, they, they just don't scare me like they do you and Chris. I mean, I, I'm just saying, I get on there, I'll even drink a soda or something as it's rolling around. <laughs> so it's pretty casual for me. But I do enjoy a good roller coaster. You guys are up on this. I'm, I'm impressed. I'm glad that we I'm glad we broached this topic today. We got a lot of good suggestions for people if they want to go check out some thrills. Um, if they want to check out some great writing, they know where to find you guys on FloridaGators.com. Uh, anything in particular coming up this week for you guys? I know it's a little bit slow in terms of Gator sports, but any features you want to tell people about? You know, Adam, I, I, I went uh, earlier this week one morning with uh, Tyree Cleveland to a school for uh, one of these community service events that uh, he's heavily involved with. And it, it was interesting to kind of hear why he does so many of these things and why it's important to him. So I'm going to ride around that and, uh, you know, give a, give people a little deeper, hopefully insight into Tyree. So make sure to check out that, uh, that feel good piece that Scott's got out there. And uh, of course, follow these guys on Twitter at Gator Scott at Gators, Chris, interact with them on what's coming up for the Gators. You guys know all about that. Uh, guys, thank you so much. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Adam. Thank you, Adam. You often hear of people naming their pets after their favorite athletes, but their kids? Not so much. Ironically enough, budding Gator basketball star Quez Gover was actually named after a former Florida football legend himself, despite the Knoxville native having no formal connection to him or the program. Confused? 
So were we. So we began our chat with Quez by tracing his roots back to the volunteer state. Well, have, my dad is named Lennon Glover. My mom is named Naisha Glover. And I have a little sister named Callie Glover. She's five now. Um, I grew up in Knoxville, Tennessee, my whole life, born and raised. So not too many guys from Knoxville, Tennessee, grow up as Gator fans, but you did. Can you tell us about uh, kind of the, the backstory of how your family became big Gator fans? When I started being able to watch football and basketball, my dad was always cheering for the Gators. So it's like, and so once my dad started cheering for the Gators, it's like my mom started cheering for the Gators, and that's really all I knew. So anytime the Gators are on, I had to watch it because that was what that's what was on TV. <laughs> and I know it also inspired your name. Can you tell us about uh, your namesake, where that comes from? One day I asked my mom where I got my name from. She was like a football player from ten- uh, from Florida named Jacquez Green. And then I was like, who's Jacquez Green? And then I watched <laughs> some of his highlights or whatever. And he's a pretty good player. So you felt better about when Once you saw how good he was, you felt better about getting that name. Yes, sir. <laughs> You know, I personally grew up as a Gator fan in Atlanta, so I know how hard it can be to be uh, deep in enemy territory. What was it like growing up in Knoxville and, and loving the orange and blue? Was that hard for you? Uh, a little bit, but I didn't really talk about it too much. I just cheered for him, for him from like a little distance. You didn't tell people? You, you don't want people to know? No, nah, not too much. <laughs> I would have caught a lot of slack for that. What What happened when people found out? When like we were at school and we were talking about my favorite football team and stuff, I always say Florida and stuff like that. And uh, I always get like, why do you like the Gators and you live in Knoxville, Tennessee? We have the balls here and stuff like that. What's your favorite moment as a Gator fan growing up? What, what game do you remember watching, regardless of the sport, that you uh, was one of those moments you always remember? When uh, Tebow won the national championship. In terms of where you started getting into to basketball, I'm curious what first got you playing the game? When did you get started? Uh, I started probably about four, playing like upwardly, a little church league. And I really liked football the most, though, at, the, at young ages. And then when I got older, I just started looking at all the dynamics and stuff. And I just felt like basketball would probably be better for me for a long term. What position were you in football? Uh, receiver, running back, and cornerback. Yeah, I always like to talk to guys who played multiple sports growing up and figure out maybe something they took from another sport into what they're doing now. So are, are there elements of football and baseball that you kind of incorporated into your game on the court? Um, the physicality of football, like playing physical, because at this level, it's, a con- it's really a contact sport, and you really have to play very physical at this high level. So taking that from football really helped me when I came here. In terms of your, your commitment to basketball, when did you have that, that aha moment of, wait, I, I think I could do this at a really high level and, and maybe make this a big part of my future? Um, my junior year, uh, my sophomore year in high school, I started making a big jump. Um, I received my first divi- first Division One offer, and that kind of gave me a lot of confidence coming out of Knoxville, Tennessee, getting a Division One offer. Who were your, your biggest influences growing up athletically? Was it your dad? Was it a coach? Who do you think back on that really helped steer you in terms of your athletic career? Uh, my dad and my mom. They just like kept pushing me no matter what, even if I had a good game. My dad would make sure the next morning or the next day I'll get back in the gym and don't like don't get too comfortable when things are going good because when times are going bad, you still need to continue to work hard. And when times are good, you still need to work hard as well. So it just kept me um, 
level-headed and kept me humble. So you mentioned getting your, your first offer during your sophomore summer of high school. When did Florida get in the mix? Because I know you weren't initially on a lot of D1 teams' radar. How did Florida get involved, and then what was that process like? Florida came right after I won the state championship my senior year. They came in late. Coach Pinkins came up and watched me work out, and we talked for a while, and we talked about um, everything and the situation here and um, that they were going to continue to recruit me and stuff like that. And then a few di- a few days later, the whole coaching staff came down and watched me and my team play pickup and stuff like that. And then maybe like a day or two later, Coach White called and offered me a scholarship. Now, being a Gator fan, was it always your dream to play for Florida, or was it something that maybe you didn't think was possible? Growing up, I always wanted to be able to play here. And then um, when I got it, it was just like, wow, it was like a dream come true, honestly. When you got on campus, what were the biggest adjustments you had to make? What do you remember about that transitional time, which I know is, is probably to some degree still going on e- even now? Um, when I first got to campus, homesickness was a big part of it. Um, I miss my family a lot, my friends from back home. So just getting over the homesickness and not being able to go home for a home-cooked meal every night, that was probably one of the biggest things. What did you feel like the key was to getting past that? I mean, I'm sure some of that is still going to be there, but what helped you cope with that and, and grow from it? Um, just getting to know the guys more and hanging out with the guys. When I felt like I was getting homesick, just go hang out with the guys so it would get off my mind and just kept continue to build relationships with different people on campus and players on the team and other athletes on campus. And I feel like that helped. I feel like when you're new in something, whether you're a freshman or, or you're a rookie, what have you, there's always people that want to give you advice. So I was curious, what's the best advice you've received from an upperclassman, a coach that's really stuck with you so far? Uh, my dad just, uh, my dad gave me some advice. Um, when I got homesick, just go in the gym and get some shots up, get your mind off of it, listen to some music. So that helped a lot. Anytime I felt like homesick, I either call my dad and go shoot or listen to some music while if he was at work and just go shoot in the gym, just relax that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know that when you're coming in, you're always looking for guys to, to lead you, right? You're always trying to figure out who can I count on that's going to be there for me. And usually it's upperclassmen, but this team doesn't have a lot of upperclassmen. So I'm curious, who is maybe one or two particular players who've taken you under their wing and, and helped show you the ropes? Andrew and Keontae. They just come anytime I feel like if I make a mistake and I get down on myself, they just continue to come up to me and be like, hey, it's all right. Just keep working. You're just a freshman. And don't worry about it too much, and you're going to get better at it. They don't let me get too down on myself, and that's really helpful. When you think about going somewhere for the first time and when you're a freshman especially, it's a very big campus. It's a big new world to be thrown into, and I guess there's there's times you can get lost, something crazy can happen to you. Have you had any, any freshman moments so far, anything embarrassing on campus uh, where you've kind of been reminded, oh, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm new to this? Um, one day after class, I got on a wrong bus, and it took <laughs> me to an apartment complex that was like 10 to 15 minutes away from my dorm. <laughs> and uh, I was a little nervous. I just had to ride the bus back all the way back to the hub. So it took about, it was a 30 minute trip. So wow. I was a little nervous about that. <laughs> How quickly did you realize you were on the wrong bus? Uh, when we got to the apartment complex, the bus driver got <laughs> the bus and took a break. And I was like, this is not where I live at. And I called uh, De- Anthony DeRuji and I was like, hey, what, what bus number am I supposed to get on? And he told me and I was on the wrong bus. <laughs> I, I could be wrong. It might not have been Ant. 
It's actually funny because I feel like when I've asked that question before to a basketball player, I got the same answer. So they need to have like an intro to RTS class for you guys to make sure (laughs) this doesn't happen. Um, We're talking about the transition from high school to college in terms of just living your life. What about basketball? What's been the most difficult part so far of taking your game from the high school level and translating it to the college level? Um, just defense, uh, defense accountability has been the one that stood out to me the most. Um, because no matter what, it's like, even if your guy doesn't have a ball, you still have the job to do and stuff like that. So just defense accountability, playing with it, all the guys that can really play the game really good and the speed of the game too. You wear the number zero, which you don't see every day. Is there a story behind why you chose that number? Um, not really. I just grew up and one of my favorite players has been Damian Lillard in the league and Westbrook and stuff like that. So seeing those guys where it really stands out to me and I like it as well. And I'm, I'm willing to bet those are also some guys you look up to. So can you just tell us some of your, your next level role models and what you, what you try and translate from their games to yours? I look up to Kobe Bryant, Damian Lillard, Kyrie Irving and Westbrook and Allen Iverson. That's quite a range of guys there. Yeah, what what is it about their games that you like and and you want to try and make your own? Um, I just like Kobe Bryant's and Damian Lillard and Iverson's mentality and coming on about the game because I feel like they didn't have a lot of people that believed in them as well, and, and they both had a lot of obstacles to get through while they're in the NBA. And um, Kyrie, I just like the way he plays the game, his style and stuff like that. So that's some of the things I take from those. And I like Alvin Iverson because he was undersized as well. When you got in your first game, how significant were the nerves and how did you overcome them? Um, the nerves were played like a major role because like I was just so nervous and making a mistake in front of all of those people and stuff like that. And then eventually I just like calmed down and just like thinking to myself it's just a game of basketball just go out here and have fun and when I finally been able when I finally started to be able to do that and just calm down it kind of helped me a lot but it's not saying that the nerves have went away but because they're still there some from time to time when I check into the game but just being able to just sit back and just be like this is just the game of basketball don't stress it too much Mm -hmm. so we know you were a Gator fan growing up and in Knoxville, there's not a lot of other teams in terms of professional teams to follow. Uh, what pro teams did you like growing up and, and were you a fan of? The Thunder and the 49ers. Hmm. How'd the 49ers get in there? Uh, my dad is one of my dad's favorite teams. <laughs> so that's been, it's been a, a tough sledding for 49ers fans the last few years. But right now, it, it's a good time to be a 49ers fan, isn't it? Yes, sir. <laughs> um. If I told you you had a day to binge an entire TV show, what show would that be, whether it's something currently on or something from when you were growing up? Pretty Little Liars. Really? That is not what I've expected. Please tell me why. <laughs> um, I watched it throughout my high school career, high school, and um, I just really like it. It's like it's always an element to surprise. You never know what's going to happen next, and I like that about the show, so I like that. I was going to ask you about your guilty pleasures, but you already answered that with Pretty Little Liars, so I guess we can skip that question. Uh, (laughs) What is the last movie that you saw in a theater? Zombieland. (laughs) That was funny. That was a good one. Um, What's the last movie that made you cry in a theater? I I don't think I've ever cried in a theater, but the last movie that made me cry was like a week or two ago, and I watched Love and Basketball. Oh, wow. Okay. But never in the... Is it... You can't show that in a theater? or? (laughs) No, nah, I don't want it. It's a little weak looking. <laughs> <laughs> um, if I gave you a ticket 
to go anywhere in the world, where would you want to go? Hawaii. Hawaii. Why Hawaii? I've uh, never been there before, and I think the water looks kind of cool, and I'd like to go take a swim in it. Yeah, I like that one. We've had a, some of the football guys recently keep saying Dubai, so I wasn't sure if that was a basketball thing as well. Made me feel like I didn't know what was going on. Yeah. Outside of basketball, what are some things you enjoy doing in your free time? Playing video games with my friends from back home. What do you guys like to compete in? Uh, Madden, Grand Theft Auto, and Fortnite. Pretty typical. Pretty typical there. Yeah. Um, I want to bring things back to basketball here as we uh, as we wrap up. When, when you look at where this team is right now, I know there's been a lot of ups and downs. It's been kind of a roller coaster start for you guys. What are some of the biggest things that you feel like the team needs to work on to be more consistent the way the coaches want you to be? Um, just become more accountable each day. Just keep seeing you to grow every day in practice and learn from our mistakes from the last practice and the last game and just become more accountable day in and day out. For you in particular, what areas of your game are you most focused on improving and who's maybe working with you the most on those? Probably um, just being more accountable and more consistent on the defensive end when I'm off the ball, stuff like that, and being able to um, knock down my open shots and shoot it with confidence. Well, Quez, we really appreciate taking some time to talk to us. Uh, Good luck the rest of your freshman year, and, and thank you again. Thank you. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice, and please leave a review to help us continue to grow. Be sure to visit FloridaGators.com for all the latest news in the orange and blue, including scores, schedules, and more. Then come back next week for an all-new episode. Until then, I'm Adam Schick, and I'll see you in Gainesville.